Greetings. If you would open your Bibles to Proverbs 13, you'll find a passage we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, We'll look at the entire uh, chapter. Proverbs chapter 13. Uh, Little theologians, if you could be thinking about uh, a toy that I'm sure you have at home, uh, maybe uh, Play-Doh or Silly Putty, those are, those are brands I'm familiar with, I'm, I'm that old. But uh, clay, maybe just uh, clay that you turn into something. I'd like for you to uh, be thinking about what clay would be if it could be whatever it wanted to be. Or Play-Doh, if it could be whatever it wanted to be. Or Silly Putty, if it could be whatever it wanted to be. How would the clay form itself? You know, that image is in the Bible in a few places. The Apostle Paul and the prophet Jeremiah talk about a clay, uh, and the clay is us, and God forms us. I want you to draw a picture of what clay might do if it could make itself into whatever it wanted to make itself into. Uh, We want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are new to Covenant. You are invited to stick around after our worship service for our Sunday school hour. We have a lot of different Sunday school classes, but we also have one that meets here in the sanctuary. Um, And this is a class uh, that will uh, just introduce you to uh, what Covenant Presbyterian Church is like. So welcome this morning. Before we read uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 13, would you join with me in prayer? Our Father, we uh, give to you the reading of your word, the preaching of your word, the understanding of your word. Would you be present with us by your Holy Spirit, that we would uh, discern what you would have us discern, and that our lives would be changed as a result. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. One pretends to be rich, it has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. 
poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. This is the word of our Lord. I'm curious, that sensation of just reading uh, that many Proverbs back to back, I wonder if it is a little bit uh, disarming, maybe? Uh, maybe it is uh, a little uh, confusing. You feel as though you're, you're floating uh, around, skipping about uh, the various Proverbs that don't seem to be connected. That is one of the challenges of my job to preach from the Proverbs. And I do want to tie together these verses under a a large theme, and that theme, as you heard me talk to the little theologians, has to do uh, with being conformed, God uh, shaping us like his own clay. But it is true that uh, that theme, it doesn't... doesn't, fall into neat little uh, subunits uh, in this chapter. Uh, I remember having a a tackle box, loving my tackle box. Uh, Mine didn't uh, have fishing gear in it. I had little uh, nuts and bolts, little pieces of things that I had found, cars, Lego pieces. It was a tackle box nonetheless. And uh, I feel like this uh, chapter in the Proverbs is like taking that tackle box and jiggling it around a little uh, a little bit. Uh, so by and large, the stuff is in the compartment it ought to be in, but every now and again, something jumps into the compartment next to it. It's a tackle box, uh, but it's a little jumbled, like it's been dropped. And that's how Proverbs 13 uh, feels to me. But uh, the, the overarching theme of this chapter from Proverbs uh, is that the heart of a wise person is actually conformed by someone else. God conforms the wise person's heart. Now here's the, uh, the uh, thematic statement of Proverbs 13. A wise Christian is one who's conformed uh, by God. Now, there's a sense in which uh, this is the setting of the whole book, isn't it? I mean, it is King Solomon who's writing to his son. Why? Well, he wants the son to be conformed to the instruction of mom and dad. The son is not this kind of individual who is just uh, finished and ready to go. Right out of the box, the son is ready to walk a wise life as a Christian. No, Uh, the son actually needs guidance. The son needs to be conformed so that the son behaves differently, but so that the son thinks differently as well. We might even say so that the son is different. You remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when I was a child, I spoke like a a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. But Paul's not like that now. 
Paul understands that he is mature now. And how does that maturity come if not someone outside of us speaking to us, instructing us, conforming us? A wise Christian is one who is conformed by God. And this isn't something that just happens in our childhood. This is the the regular, ordinary life of the Christian. If you are wise, Christian, expect to be conformed, expect to need work, expect to be corrected and reproved, expect to be disciplined. This is God's love for you. Let me say uh, just uh, two things about this passage. The second thing I'm going to subdivide. The first is this, is that a wise Christian is conformed by someone else. That someone else uh, we know, of course, is God. King Solomon is speaking to a son, but we understand that uh, it is uh, God who uh, conforms uh, his children. Uh, the evidence for this is everywhere in the passage, but look where the passage begins in verse 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction. Uh, but the unwise person, the uh, notice that they're called a scoffer and not a son. To scoff is to mock and to ridicule. Uh, the one who ridicules does not listen to rebuke. The one who ridicules actually deserves rebuke. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but uh, we could also see in verse 1 that that wise son will listen to the father's rebuke. You see in verse 10, uh, by insolence comes nothing but strife. But look how the line continues there in verse 10. Uh, But with those who take advice is wisdom. Whoever despises the word, verse 13, brings destruction on himself. But he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The the word and the commandment, they're, they're, they're from someplace, someone else. And finally, you see that last line in verse 18, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. There again, the wise person is not just receiving instruction, but actually receiving reproof and discipline as well. That's part of being a Christian. Now, this isn't a natural tendency for us at all, is it? We ought to know that. Uh, We, uh, of course, want to forge ahead, uh, making ourselves after our own image. Uh, It is uh, wonderfully ironic to me how independence, that word independence, is such an American word, isn't it? So American. We love uh, being independent. But the Bible tells us we're not independent, are we? We are dependent. We need God for life and breath and existence. You, uh, some of you as parents know that uh, one or two or more of your children is particularly independent. You know that child. You don't have to look at them or smirk at them right now. If they're here, just let it go. But we know what it's like having that one particular child who is especially independent. Actually. You might be here right now as that particularly independent child. Independence is important, but it's not that important. Christians are dependent. You might be able to look around the world and bemoan the fact that in this world there's no more loyalty, there's no more commitment, but there is loyalty, Maybe not the kind of loyalty that you grew up with, loyalty to a company, but there is loyalty, loyalty to self. 
And you might look around the world and say there's no commitment. People are getting married later and later in life, if at all. There's no commitment. There is commitment. It's all over the place. It's commitment to self. You see, we think we are that independent. But a wise Christian is, a, is someone who is conformed. And uh, it is interesting how honest the father is to the son in Proverbs chapter 13 uh, by saying that it might require uh, that the son not simply listen, but that the son actually take a little bit of physical pain. Do you see that in verse 24? And we, we rush to use this as a parental passage. We should. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. But who's saying this to whom? Is it not King Solomon saying this to his son? Son, listen to me. Hear my instruction. But remember, I can't spare the rod. To do so would, to hate, would, would be to hate you. But I love you, which means I must discipline you. Sometimes instruction by words, not enough. The father, King Solomon, he seems to know this. If not uh, this particular kid, all children. Uh, the father uh, knows that sometimes instruction by words is not quite enough. And this reference to physically striking someone, it's just impossible to avoid. It's right here. It's plain as day. The father is not speaking metaphorically here. He's speaking about uh, physical discipline. A scholar like Bruce Walk, he uh, finds uh, examples of this very same advice in parenting texts of the ancient world. Uh, Egyptian parenting texts have uh, the, same, uh, the same phrasing, that it is important to discipline even if discipline requires physical means. Uh, this was understood in the ancient world as an expression of love. That doesn't mean uh, it wasn't misused but it was an expression of love, not just to the Hebrew people, but to many peoples. The objective was exactly the same as instruction. Instruction is to lead to wisdom. Physical discipline is to lead to wisdom. And not just any wisdom, but God's wisdom. We've seen how the mother and father's instruction in Proverbs has been circumscribed by the will of God, fearing God, leaning upon his understanding of things. Their instruction is actually instruction that is divine instruction. It is instruction from God. So, too, is the application of physical discipline to be meant for God's wisdom. It would seem that, uh, I just want to say a few more things before leaving Proverbs uh, uh, 13.24. The primary setting, it seems to be uh, the home. You see there in verse uh, 22, there's a reference to inheritance and children. If you you had it before you, Proverbs 14.1 is about a a woman in a, a house. You actually see the word house there. So the primary setting for this kind of discipline. Uh, It is uh, in the home. I think that we could glean that from Scripture. Uh, But it is uh, the kind of uh, discipline, physical discipline, that is actually uh, required uh, to avoid this, to mark this off the list of something that you would never practice towards your children. Well, that actually is to hate your children. It's the kind of discipline that is commanded. It can't be removed as a possibility, even if not all of your children need physical discipline in the same way. If you would uh, quickly look at verse 25 with me. There's three confusing verses in this uh, uh, chapter. Well, particularly confusing. I think 25 is. 
Verse 25 says, The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. Derek Kidner says that verse 25 is actually about limiting retribution. It's, it's stopping yourself. It's saying enough is enough. Uh, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite. You, you stop your discipline at a certain point. And so Kidner attaches 25 to 24. It's also important that this kind of discipline happens in the context of a relationship. Look at verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Parents, as you discipline your children, you must walk with them. They mustn't doubt the tightness of your relationship. Uh, Looking at Derek Kidner's comments again on this uh, picture of discipline, he says that wisdom is meant to dislodge our folly by words of instruction, but sometimes we need more. Wisdom is meant to dislodge our folly, to get the folly out of our system. We listen to God's instruction, but sometimes the dislodging of our folly requires more. But let's not uh, quibble about uh, the nature of this discipline. Let's know that a wise Christian is one who is receiving all of God's instruction. God, he speaks to us in his word, and in fact, his word tells us repeatedly that God disciplines his children. Those who are saints adopted through the work of Christ Jesus are actually disciplined by God. This is God's love for us. Remember last week I said that wisdom has this quality of danger about it. But make no mistake about it, a wise Christian is conformed by God. The second thing I want to say is uh, King Solomon seems to be saying in Proverbs 13 uh, what this conformed life looks like. And he calls out three things. He uh, says that someone whose life has uh, been conformed and is being conformed by God uh, is someone who has a proper understanding of their words and of their wealth and of their desires. Do you see that? The second main point actually has three subpoints. It's all a trick. It's all a trick. The second main point is what that conformed life looks like. Well, as Christians, we should have a proper understanding of our words. You see in verse 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. That's the kind of people we should be. It's interesting that when we uh, think about uh, evidence of sanctification in life, we often think about outwardly visible good works, don't we? That person is a godly person because of the outwardly visible good works they perform all the time, and that's uh, certainly not something to be ignored. But haven't we known people whose godliness we recognize, not because they are engaged in these uh, public, well-known good works, but we know that they're godly because they walk Watch their words carefully. They don't enter into arguments. They don't start arguments. They're slow to speak. That's a form of godliness. To be slow to speak is to have a proper understanding of our words and to show that we are being conformed by God to be wise. 
I wonder if all of these uh, words, and there are several here about our speech, I wonder if this is uh, to stand out to us, especially so in this age, because we live in an age where it is very easy to speak and to speak quickly. Is that not what social media is all about? Speaking and speaking quickly. Quick speech, unguarded speech. That's our age, but that's not someone who is conformed by God. So uh, someone who's conformed by God has a proper understanding of their words, but they also have a proper understanding of their wealth. And here's where we, uh, we find a nice summary in verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And this is about contentedness, isn't it? It's about having the kind of understanding of our wealth, and that wealth uh, comes from the hand of God. He uh, knows what we need, and we must wait patiently for it. Numerous times in the Proverbs, we're told to wait patiently for wealth. I think that's really what verses 7 and 8 are about. Uh, These are the second and third uh, most difficult verses in this chapter. You see there in verse 7, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. And before you're tempted to think one is good and one is bad, I think the best way to understand this is that both of these in verse 7 are bad. That's what verse 7 is saying. Both of these individuals, they're pretenders. They're liars. They're posers. The the poor person pretends to be wealthy to give the appearance of wisdom, to command respect. That's what the poor person is doing. And the wealthy person is, for some reason, pretending to be poor. There might be a number of reasons why. One commentator suspects maybe they're pretending to be poor so they don't have to pay as much tax or they don't have to pay as many alms. But they're pretenders. They pretend what they've received from God. One pretends to have received from God what he hasn't, and one pretends to have received nothing at all from God, though he has. I think verse 8 is similar in that both statements there are statements of a bad quality. You see, a wealthy man can easily ransom his life, but the poor man is negligent in that they don't even care that their life is in danger. You see, it's this funny understanding of wealth in which wealth actually uh, defines who you are. Uh, You see in verse 22, the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Uh, The sinner's wealth is going to be gone soon, but they don't act as if it'll be gone soon. It'll be taken from them and given to someone else. To pretend otherwise is not to have a proper understanding of wealth. Wealth doesn't own us or define us. We don't have to pretend to be one or another. We don't have to count on our wealth as being our rescue, our ransom. We don't have to mindlessly assume that if we don't have it, then there are certain responsibilities that we don't have to take. To understand our wealth properly is to understand that our wealth is our daily bread that comes to us as a gift from God. Understanding our wealth properly shows that we are conformed as a wise Christian. Our words, our wealth, but then also our desires. Uh, Isn't it interesting that this father, King Solomon, he is willing to address the desires of his son. I've said over and over again from this pulpit that Christianity is not just honest, it's frighteningly honest. We are people of desires. 
people of passions, people of cravings. God addresses those. God doesn't tell us, stop desiring, uh, give up all of your passion, have no more cravings. God doesn't say that to us in King Solomon. He doesn't say it to the son, but he does say that you must have a proper understanding of those desires and passions and cravings. You have to understand this well, son, says King Solomon. You see in verse 12, that hope that comes slowly, that's drawn out, that comes at a trickle. It makes the heart sick. We yearn for something. But look what he says in verse 12. But a desire that is fulfilled, that's a tree of life. Desire that's fulfilled. We hear this morning with unfulfilled desires Is it hard for you to listen to the sermon? Is it hard for you to participate in the worship service because all that you're aware of are desires that are not fulfilled? You think of Psalm 37, 4, he will give you the desires of your heart and yet you look at your heart and it's not fulfilled. God surely is broken, you might be saying to yourself. Look in verse 19 at how uh, the fulfillment of desire is described by King Solomon to his son. Look at verse 19. Desire fulfilled is what? It's to turn away from evil. And even if we go back to Psalm 37, he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, We're told in that very same verse that our desire is to delight in the Lord, to find our delight in the Lord. And it might be that your desires are unfulfilled because your desires and passions and cravings are pointed to the wrong object, to something, to someone, to yourself. God cares about your desires, but those desires are meant to be fulfilled, to delight it in, to be meant to be uh, expressed in, but also meant to be a source of divine participation when you're desiring the Lord. I think Satan is quite provocative in that uh, all of the structures of our social world today seem to be on gratifying our desires. That's, That's what identity is about. Getting myself, desiring myself, being fulfilled in myself. And God says the desire is not bad. It's the self that's bad. Our words, our wealth, our desires... All of them are subject to God's power to conform us. A wise Christian is one who's conformed by God. Christianity gives a perspective of life that is countercultural. You should expect to feel pain as you walk through this life as a Christian. This present age is structured against you. But we do have God. He is with us, near, close to us. He has come to us in Jesus. And the spirit that dwells in us is the spirit of Christ given to us securely by his work and that spirit can never be taken away. You see, Jesus Christ, he dwells in us for our sanctification. What a great example of being conformed we have in Jesus 
Jesus conformed all of his words to the will of the Father, words to others, and even his words to the Father in his prayers. Every word served the Father. And all of his wealth was used for the Father's glory. Even the wealth of his divine person was set aside for the glory of the Father. And all of Jesus' desires, all of them were turned over to God his Father. So we have Jesus Christ as an example of conformity. But let's not forget, we have Jesus Christ dwelling in us by his spirit, not only as an example, but as a power to receive the conformity that comes to us. Christian, this is an assurance to you. You have the spirit of Christ dwelling in you that you might love the conformity that God has for you. Trust his work in you and his work for you. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we do ask that you would conform us even though it pinch and it hurt. We ask that you would enable us to uh, not only endure that conforming, but to also take delight in it. Would you do this by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name? Amen.